Yeah, I would say the three predominant uh, misinterpretations, or might even call them, I mean, historically they have been called heresies about the Trinity, um, are modalism, partialism, and Arianism. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Hey, we, it's a little different here. You can tell our set is a bit different. Uh, we are up at Ravencrest here in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and Pastor Nick is who is a pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, is up here teaching at uh, the Bible College. And a little bit more on that later, but uh, we are in our series, and uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and our series is Grace and Truth. We've been looking at the letter from Paul to the Corinthians and just looking at the amazing things that, that God has been teaching us through this. So if you missed that, whitefieldschurch.com. Uh, you can find it there, and of course YouTube, of course Facebook, and any of your favorite uh, streaming platforms, and any of your uh, you know podcast platforms. And if you would, you know, you're watching this right now, you're listening to us right now, just go ahead and hit like, subscribe, leave us a, a review um, any way you can. It just really helps to uh, boost this content up in whatever algorithm it's operating in, and that when people are are asking, you know. God, you know, they're asking things about God. You know, they're asking things about life. We can provide them with Christ-centered and gospel-centered content. And um, if this blesses you, just go ahead and share it with a friend. And and uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the title of that message was uh, Spiritual Gifts. Using your use, spiritual gifts to serve others. To serve others. And uh, But first of all, we're up here at Ravencrest, up here in the beautiful Rocky Mountains with the Ravencrest Chalet, which is... a uh, uh, Bible College or Bible School up here in the Rocky Mountains that we've had a great partnership with over the years. And, uh, you know, just maybe sh share just a little bit about the history of this place. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, so Torchbearers is the parent organization of Ravencrest. Ravencrest is one of 30 or so sites around the world um, that is a Torchbearer site where they have a Bible school. And primarily these are what we might call a gap year Bible schools. So mm -hmm. it's mostly a one-year discipleship-focused Bible school. But there's a ton of Bibles learning going on here. Um, you know, so much teaching that these guys get uh, and really good teachers. Um, so we, we've done a lot of things with Ravencrest over the past few years, re really close to where we're at in Longmont, uh, here up on top of a mountain overlooking Estes Park. <clears throat> and so we've done some youth retreats up here. Uh, that's primarily what they do in the summer, youth retreats mm -hmm. and things like that, youth camps. And then the, in the fall, winter, spring, they do the Bible College. So like I said, they have several sites around the world. Uh, this is one of them. This was originally built as, a, um, as like a hotel. The original facility up here was built as a hotel in the early 20th century. And then um, the torchbearers were able to purchase it, I think in the 1970s, might have been the 60s that they purchased it, and then they've expanded it, and they've done some really great things. Um, so yeah, you can check them out online. But Torchbearers is an interesting organization started after World War II in England with a, a man who had been a, a some kind of leader. I don't remember his exact position mm -hmm. in the British military, but he had this vision for reconciliation with the Germans um, because there's a lot of animosity, especially from the English towards the Germans because the Germans had bombed them. And so he started organizing these camps that would bring German youth to Christian camps in England. And from there, the whole thing just kind of blossomed into, you know, discipleship, Bible school, even some missions work that they've done. 
and uh, just a really good organization and really great stuff. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, you know, I came up here to help you one of your classes and just was uh, amazing to see so many students yeah. and just, just, you know, and the questions they were asking and things like that, just it's, you know, next generation is a great future. Oh, yeah. And so it's exciting to partner with them. And so, but, you know, we're up here, we decided to, you know, uh, do our video up here. And we're First Corinthians chapter 12. And one of the things we want to talk about, and I kind of, you know, brought it up with you, one of the themes for me in understanding the, you know, probably the last few weeks that we've been going through, uh, you know, going through this letter is is understanding the trinity when we you know when we view view god in his fullness and his beauty and the triune nature of god when we see that as the as is depicted in in scripture i think it kind of unlocks a lot of the kind of authority you know the structure the things that we find here in scripture and but what we want to touch on, because on Sunday you kind of spoke about this, but what we want to touch on is today is kind of maybe some of the misconceptions that are found around the Trinity, some, you know, ways people misinterpret or misrepresent how the Bible actually portrays. And so we want to kind of look at a few of those today. Yeah, I would say the three predominant uh, misinterpretations, or might even call them, I mean, historically they have been called heresies about the Trinity, um, are modalism, partialism, and Arianism. So just to explain what those are. You know, there's a lot of bad Trinity analogies out there. There's a really good video for anybody who wants to see it. Yeah, it's, we'll link it in the, in the description. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a video that, you know, talks about some bad Trinity analogies. But, you know, maybe you've heard some like, yeah. the Trinity is like water, which, is, which can be in the form of a gas, a liquid, or a solid in different states. Well, that's a form of what we call modalism. Modalism means that the Holy Spirit is one of the modes that God appears in sometimes. Jesus is one of the modes that God appears in sometimes. And, um, and the Father is another mode of God. The problem with that is that what we have in the Trinity is that the Father is God, fully God. The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. They are God independent of each other, and yet... They are united in one Godhead where there is one God, right? So what it, what it means is that it's not that sometimes God is Jesus, and when he's Jesus, he is not the Father and the Spirit. A great example of this being at Jesus' baptism. We see all three persons of the Trinity represented in, in one place, right? We see Jesus, the Son, we hear the voice of God the Father, and we see the Spirit descending as a dove, and so that's important. So, so we don't believe in modalism, right? Um, another another example is like some people have said it's like an egg, right? An egg. There's one egg, but it has a shell, and it has a um, the white of the egg, and it has a yolk. And again, that that's also wrong. That would probably be maybe a form of modalism, maybe a form of partialism. Partialism is the idea that uh, if God is a pie. You cut him into three parts, and one part is the Father, one part is the Son, one part is the Spirit, and then kind of like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, they mm -hmm. all come together and form one big God. Um, but we don't believe that either, right? We believe that, again, just to state it clearly, there's one God who eternally exists in three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and, uh, and yet there is one God. So, um, and then, so there's this other thing about the Trinity that we refer to in, 
I guess, I guess you could call it theological circles, but it's a way of understanding this. And that is that you would say, we have what is called the economic trinity and the ontological trinity. So the ontological trinity deals with the questions of, is Jesus God? Is the Holy Spirit God? Is the Father God? Are there three persons in the one God, right? So the ontology or the basic fundamental nature of existence of God. Now, the, the economic trinity is the understanding that these three persons of the trinity, as God, they, um, they have different roles to play. So that, that has to deal with how the fact that they, they play different roles. So the spirit uh, sanctifies and seals and indwells and empowers and, and more, right? There's, there's other things we could list. But um, the son, right? So the son is the one who advocates and intercedes for us. Um, the Father adopts us and justifies us. So uh, we could go on, but the point is that the, that's the sense, what we call the economic trinity. And both these things are, are intertwined, right? And, and especially for our, our discussion here, it's really important that we understand this. And the, the final one that I talked about, the three big misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. So it's immortalism, partialism, and then Arianism. Arianism is the belief that Jesus is a created being, that he is a special created being, maybe even the preeminent created being, but he is not God, or at least not fully God. And that is why, by the way, the creeds, the early Christian creeds, use the word fully God of fully God, because they were dealing with the Arian heresy that was going around saying, okay, Jesus is maybe a little bit God, but not like fully mm -hmm. God. No, they said, no, 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 Jesus is fully God. So um, this would be held by like Jehovah's Witnesses. They're modern day Arians. And so they, they believe that Jesus is a created being. Um, in Mormon church, you know, they would say that Jesus was created, right? He, he is not an uncreated being um, as God is. So there's a difference there. Now, as Christians, this has been part of our belief from the very beginning because it's clear in the Bible, right? That Jesus, the Spirit, so the Son, the Spirit, and the Father were all present and actively at work in creation. They are all uncreated creator. So, Yeah, no, and I, th I think why, why it's so important is that when you look at that, and you, we've seen over the past few weeks the idea of authority and submission and value and how those all work together, and we get that picture from the Trinity, and and it helps us unlock, you know, some of of what many you know within marriage, you know, the idea of submission, wife submitting to her husband as the husband submits to Christ is, you know, there's but it's submitting one to another. There's no change in value of who we are in the eyes of God, but there's change in in function and and those kind of things and we look at how the beauty of of the trinity and how it works together you know we can see that how that how when we're doing that same kind of thing here on earth we see the beauty of it and uh that's kind of what came came to my mind and one, one thing that does come in as a follow-up question and just from actually from your class this morning somebody asked you you know, well, well, do we leave out the Holy Spirit when we're talking too much about Jesus? And, you know, when you, you when you talk about the Trinity and, you know, in our, as we study the scriptures, like we will feel like, well, I talked about too much about Jesus today. We should talk about the Holy Spirit. And you, and you find some churches that, 
focus more on the things of the spirit. Some focus more on you know you know things of uh, you know you know Jesus and then on, on the Father. You know He's the angry God and and these kind of things. Jesus is the good God and you know the Holy Spirit and you know and, and some you know you and I've had experiences you know in Eastern Europe with churches where they theologically believed in the Holy Spirit but practically they did not. You know, so how how do we see the the roles? You know, as as you know, does the Holy Spirit point to Jesus, or or how do we you see those roles working together? You know, in in the gospel and in our lives. Yeah, there's actually a Greek word for this. It's called um, I might pronounce it wrong. I have it written down here. I think it's periakosis, but I'm gonna check it out for you real quick. It's called yeah perichoresis, and it means the dance the dance. So it's the mm-hmm. dance of the Trinity. And the, it's this idea that if you kind of look at the Bible, what you see is that the, there's this dance, I mean, this inter, interconnectedness and this interaction that takes place between the three persons of the Trinity. Um, so the Father sends the Son, the Son submits to the Father, the Father and the Son together send the Spirit, then the Spirit glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father exalts the Son. And so what you see is it's almost like this reciprocal um, submission, exaltation, glorification, there's no sense of rivalry, right? There's no Mm -hmm. sense of like the Holy Spirit's out there saying, hey, people are not giving me enough credit, right? Like I should get more attention. Uh, The work of the Holy Spirit is not to bring attention to himself. Um, The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring attention to Jesus. So if we're talking a lot about Jesus, you know who's excited is the Holy Spirit right? And the Father's excited. Why? Because he seeks to exalt the Son and give him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Mm -hmm. every knee should bow, right? So, and if we're talking about the Father, right, like Jesus is excited because his whole thing is to glorify the Father. And so, um, you know, the one person in the Trinity who actually we, we don't see our attention being pushed to focus on is the Spirit, Mm -hmm. because the Spirit's almost like, hey, I want you to focus on the Son. And the son's like, I want you to focus on the father. So all that to say, there's no rivalry amongst them. And that, that's really important for us to understand when we're talking about this. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. That so much of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is based in Trinitarian understanding. He essentially says this, um, to be a follower of Jesus, he says in chapter 11, verse 1, is to imitate him. So to imitate Jesus, well, what was Jesus like? Well, he laid aside, like it says in Philippians 2, his rights and privileges he um, laid aside those in order to surrender his life to the Father and to serve us. So to be like Jesus is to do that. Um, yeah, and going on, you know, in marriage, what does it look like? Well, what's interesting is that according to Ephesians 5, both the husband and the wife play the role of Jesus in different ways in the, in the relationship. So we're both imitating Jesus as followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then in the church body, we have a diversity of gifts, just as in the economic trinity, right? There, there is a diversity of actions, and yet there is unity in, in value, in ontology, as we call mm-hmm. it. So, Yeah, no, that's, I, no, I, I think that's important for our viewers. As you, as you view, I think it's important to view, you know, I have that hermeneutic. I know for me as a worship leader, I remember I read a book by Harold Best, who was the dean of music at Wheaton College, and he started out this worship book talking about the Trinitarian nature of God and how he used this phrase pouring into, how they, they, in their, they pour into each other 
and 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 how we are called into that relationship and what am i pouring my life that essentially what worship is is it's me pouring my life into something and am i going to pour that into something that's worthless or am i pour it into something that's eternal and i just love that picture and it was it really you know understanding god as as the triune god really open my mind to one to the scriptures and to see just the role of worship in my own life and what that actually meant and so i think that's just for you the viewers and, and listeners that maybe take a you know go back and read those chapters that we looked at you know you know first even from the beginning chapter one through the lens of the triune god and see how it might open your eyes to how god really wants to speak to you and how you can find your place place in there and so I'm glad you joined us here in Ravencrest, here in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. And uh, if you missed our sermon on Sunday, whitefieldschurch.com. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.